Throughout salvation history, God calls many people and many people respond. The reality is, though, that the vast majority of people that God calls throughout history, from Adam and Eve to the present day to the end of the world, do not respond to God's call. They're indifferent, could care less, or frightened, and they just will not respond. In our first reading today, we hear about Samuel being called. He's a boy, and he's been called at night. He wakes from the sleep, and the third time he finally understands who's calling. And he says, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. Samuel will go on to become one of the great prophets in the Old Testament, and he, in turn, will call King David forward, who at the time is a boy, come forward to be the king of Israel. And then the monarchy is going to be restored to Israel, and Israel is going to become a sovereign nation. David himself is going to respond positively to God's call and beckon. As we go through the Old Testament, there are many people that are called by God for something extraordinary. Noah, Moses, uh, Abraham, and then all the prophets and the judges of the Old Testament. And some are, and, and, uh, and then of course in the New Testament, and we hear in our gospel today, Jesus calling Andrew and John, and then there will be Peter and James which will follow, and just I'll explain that in just a second. Will follow, and so there are these small group of people who then begin to follow Jesus. But as we see in the Old Testament, we go back to Noah, where is everyone else? It's Noah and his family, the eight of them on the boat. Everyone else has rejected God. The whole world has rejected God, and they all die for it. And then in, in Jesus' own time when he's preaching, you know, he preaches to the multitudes after the, the feeding of the, of the five, seven thousand, whatever it is, of the loaves and fishes, and they want to make him king. And he proceeds to teach them about the Eucharist and that you must eat me. I, in, the, in the blessed sacrament, I'll be the body, blood, soul, and divinity, you must eat me. And they reject him and say, this is cannibalism. We're not going to eat you. We're not going to eat anything like you. And, and they reject his messiahship. The Pharisees and Sadducees reject the messiahship of our Lord as well. Even though Jesus has literally raised people from the dead in front of their eyes and has told them the most beautiful truths and the most kind and sublime things, and they will not follow him. The mob that chants for Barabbas instead of Jesus. Why aren't they chanting for Jesus? Why is it that down through history, the vast majority of the human race has a really hard time doing what Andrew and John seem to do so naturally? John the Baptist is baptizing the River Jordan. He baptizes Jesus and goes, that's the one, that's the Messiah. Andrew and John say, should we follow him? And he goes, yes, follow him. He must increase, I must decrease. And Andrew and and John do. They just sort of naturally follow him. They're a little sheepish. They ask him, Rabbi, where are you staying? Well, I mean, what's going on with you? Jesus goes, come on, guys. And then they're off to the races for the next three years. For the rest of their lives, their lives will be profoundly different. They'll go from the River Jordan up to the Sea of Galilee, and there Andrew will introduce his brother Peter to Jesus, and John will introduce his brother James to Jesus. And so now Jesus has four of his apostles with him. It seems so natural, but it's actually not so natural. It's not so natural because Andrew and John are disciples of John the Baptist, and John the Baptist is a crazy cult figure. John the Baptist is wearing animal skins that have not been 
whatever they call that, processed. And so uh, it's more like there's the dead goat, cut the skin off the goat, lay it out in the sun, let it dry off, throw it on. There you go, sort of thing. John the Baptist smells. I can imagine flies landing on him. He's eating insects. He's a crazy man. He's just a crazy man. But Andrew and John believe in him. They believe this crazy man is from God. And he's pointing the way to the Messiah, to the Savior to come. So Andrew and John are already very religious young men at the time they meet Jesus. And hence they have this foundation that allows them to see the truth of who Jesus is. Ditto for Peter and James, their brothers. They come from a a very religious sect called the Essenes, sort of thing. But it gets back to this question, why doesn't everyone follow Jesus? Why not from the beginning of time didn't the human race follow God? And their answers are kind of various, but they keep boiling down to this. That, that we always want to fit in. And if the vast majority of people don't want to follow God, then if we're going to follow God, then we're not going to fit in with the vast majority. And we have this incredible yearning to fit in, even if it's to support really evil leaders. We just want to fit in. The Pharisees and Sadducees say, give us Barabbas. And we're like, Okay, that's where the majority is. Give us Barabbas. Yeah, that sounds great. We just want to fit in. We just want to fit in. And so we fit in with the whole world as God sends the flood and kills everyone. It didn't do them much good. And it doesn't do people a whole lot of good either to say as they die and stand before the Lord, yeah, but Jesus has really good at fitting in down on earth. And our Lord just sheds a tear and says, too bad, sucker. I asked you to follow me, and what did you do? The other is that we have this in our mind that, well, actually, if I follow God, my life will be worse. Jesus wants to hurt me. Jesus is a liar and a deceiver, and if I follow him, he's going to make my life just terrible. and It will be worse than what I have right now, and I don't want to lose what I have right now. And that's a satanic lie. That's a satanic lie. Jesus is the truth personified. He is infinite goodness personified. Following him, trusting in him, only makes one's life better. Substantially better in this life, and infinitely better in the life to come. But that's an act of faith. That if I stop fitting in with everyone else, then I'm going to be okay. Or, if I turn the TV off and I spend that time in prayer, that I will be okay. That it won't actually hurt that much. But we got all these crazy things in our heads. So, I want to propose to you this. This question. Why don't you follow Jesus? Yeah, you follow him enough to make it to Sunday Mass. And for some of you, you're not even consistent about that. It's like, oh, well, kind of when I feel like it. Most of the time, but not all the time. Most of the time, kind of thing. Why don't we follow him more? Why don't we have enough faith to give him our life? He had enough faith 2,000 years ago to die for each one of us on the gamble, rolling the dice, that we would respond. 
because for everyone over the past 2,000 years who has been damned to eternal fire, that was in vain. But he did it anyway, and he would do it all over again. In fact, if there was only ever one human being ever created, he would mount Calvary for the one on the chance, just on the chance, that the one might follow him. Might. Maybe. You and I wouldn't take a cold shower for a dearly beloved family member who is in need because the cold shower is just too much to ask. Jesus is asking actually so little of us. And what we gain from following him is so infinitely much. So infinitely much. And the truth is that the sacrifices that he asks of us in this life, and they are sacrifices, at a minimum it's the sacrifice not to fit in with all the rest of the world. He is asking sacrifices. But in the end, they're not that much. They're not that much. And we know from experience that they make us better people and happier people. So let me propose a few things that the Lord is inviting you to do. He's inviting me and you to spend at least half as much time with a screen on. The average American checks her smartphone 40 times a day. Can you check it just 20? If the average kid checks their smartphone like 200 times a day, can you just check it 100 times a day? If uh, the average American has the TV set on in their house for five hours a day, can you have it on in your house for just two and a half? If the average American is staying up too late because they're watching TV and on their smartphone and blah, 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 and then, oh, shoot, it's too late. I'm not going to get all the sleep I needed. And then you get the, and then you go off to sleep, and then you get up, and you're tired, and you're hassled, and you're running out the door to go off to work, and you didn't pray at all. Can you just back up and get back to the night before and realize that if I ideally want eight hours of sleep and I get up at five, then I need to turn out the lights at nine. If I get up at six, I've got to turn out the lights at ten. What is it going to take for me to get there? How long does it take me to prepare for bed? A half an hour, an hour? Then I need to start at eight o'clock or nine o'clock to get ready for bed so that when that time comes, nine or ten, I can turn off the light and go to sleep so that I can get up when I should, feeling rested, and then go pray, which was time I never carved out for God. Why? Because I'm lazy. I'm lazy, selfish, you know. Time and time again, we see constant opportunity right in front of us, low-hanging fruit, to take advantage of these invitations to come and follow our Lord. And to do it again for ourselves, for our own betterment, sanctification maybe, and our own salvation, but for the love of neighbor. To get our spouse and our children and our grandchildren to heaven, and even the total stranger to heaven. For that, it it might take joining a small faith sharing group. Well, I looked at the thing, and it wouldn't really do much for me. Really? I got a feeling if we all jumped into a small faith sharing group that a few years down the road we looked back, we would have said, yeah, it did me good. I think that's almost like 99% of us could say, it would have done me good. But more than that, it would have done someone else in that group good that you were there contributing. 
at least showing them that you care enough to be here, even if they're a total stranger. Jesus is saying, come and follow me. I'm not asking everything. Just a little bit. And with a little bit invested in Jesus, there is infinite goodness here. Infinite goodness. Will you take me up on the invitation? Will you follow me? From the dawn of time to the end of time, the vast majority of the human race isn't going to lift a finger for God. It's always, God, what can you do for me? But for those of us in that small, small minority that hear the voice of the Lord and respond in some kind of a way to it, for us, it's, it's the kingdom. It's beyond the sunset, beyond the horizon of goodness of all good things. And finally this, they will all die and they will never again be able to sacrifice anything for God. We might live in eternal bliss in the kingdom of heaven, but we'd never suffer again for anything. If we were to zoom around heaven doing everything that we could for God, there would still be no sacrifice. We can't suffer there. We can't merit anything in the next life. It's only in this life. And some people die as babies, as children, and never get a chance to sacrifice for love of God and neighbor. You and I do. But the window and the opportunity to do so is shrinking day by day until finally each one of us in this building will be dead and there will be no more chance to ever again sacrifice anything to follow Jesus. Now is the time. Jesus is coming up out of the water. He just got baptized. And John the Baptist is telling Andrew and John, abandon me and follow him. And if you don't follow him today, you've lost an incredibly small window of opportunity. So today, Jesus is inviting each one of us to follow him, to follow him into the great unknown, into one thing we know for sure, that we're not going to fit in with the world. The world is off, going off a collective cliff together. We don't want to go there. We're not going to fit in. We might even lose our job or not be employed, lose relationships that mean a lot to us, etc. But if that's where the world is and God's over here, then this is where I need to be. So pursue that. Pursue it. Pursue Jesus. Make time for him. Make time for him. Make some sacrifices for him. It's okay. He's made a lot for us. And you'll never regret it. The only regret I know at the end of my life is that I won't have done enough. I already know that. I think about that all the time. I think about it. every time I don't pray as I'm supposed to, or every time I break some rule that I had made to God, every time that I didn't do that thing because I was too lazy. I always think kind of at the end of the day, I'm going to really regret that, as I'll never have that opportunity again to do that. And I don't want to die in regret or remorse. Today, take Jesus' hand and go with him into the great unknown.
into the great horizon, into eternity. <laughs>